The following message was given at Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. Looking at Proverbs this afternoon, Proverbs chapter 18. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn there. Proverbs 18, verses 13 through 24. So starting in verse 13 to the end of the chapter, Proverbs 18. Proverbs really is a rich book. Treasures from Heaven, I think it's what the sermon series is titled based on. Really what the book provides us. It provides us this wisdom that comes down from heaven. How do we take God's law? How do we apply it? Where are some more details? What does it look like? And so this book is given to us for our instruction and in how to live in wisdom. Proverbs 18, beginning in verse 13. This is God's very word. If one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. A man's spirit will endure sickness, but a crushed spirit who can bear. An intelligent heart acquires knowledge, and the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. A man's gift makes room for him and brings him before the great. The one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines it. The lot puts an end to quarrels and decides between powerful contenders. A brother offended is more unyielding than a strong city, and quarreling is like the bars of a castle. From the fruit of a man's mouth his stomach is satisfied. He is satisfied by the yield of his lips. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. The poor use entreaties, but the rich answer roughly. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Well, this concludes the reading of God's word. May he be pleased now to add his blessing to it. Well, just recently I was at somebody's house and we were trying to do something very simple. And that was to just scan something. All we had to do is put something in a printer, close the lid, and hit scan. And guess what? It didn't work. And after minutes of trying and trying, finally this person muttered under his breath something I have muttered so many times, and that is, why do things always have to be so difficult? And it's ironic because it's in the context of technology, which is supposed to make our life easier. But oftentimes, technology only complicates things. But whether or not you live in an area where, like we do, with the much luxuries and technology, despite lack of air conditioning, I see everyone doing this. We'll survive. We'll be fine. First world problem, or in a third world country where you don't have those same technological advances, this world is very complicated and difficult, and it's filled with all sorts of difficulties and complications and challenges. When dealing with pastoral or counseling situations, things are often very complicated and just not clear cut. And this is especially the case when it comes to our relationships with 
with one another, which can be very challenging. But also in our passage, there's a diamond in the rough, so to speak. We see that a true companion is a great grace and kindness that comes from the Lord. But even in that, that can have certain challenges. And so four areas of our life where challenges can abound. This is a very spiritual sermon. It's alliterated. Considerations, conflicts, conversations, and companions. So those four areas of our life where challenges can abound. First, considerations or really judgments, coming to judgments. Verse 13, if one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. This is someone who doesn't take time to consider a matter. In his pride, he rushes to a conclusion. He doesn't ask follow-up questions. He doesn't take time to consider the matter. He doesn't make sure he's understanding. Rather, he assumes he understands. So in conceit and pride, he rushes to a rash conclusion. And this is folly and shame. Much different, however, is the one who exercises wisdom. Verse 15, an intelligent heart acquires knowledge in the ear of the wise, the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. So notice that the focus is on the ear. It is through the ear that the wise seeks knowledge. Rather than primarily using his mouth and expressing only his own opinion or giving an answer before he hears, rather he makes sure to utilize his ear and prefers to take time to consider things, to have things go in, rather than have things go out. Rather than thinking he already knows it all, giving an answer before he hears, he takes time to seek knowledge, to study, to learn, to contemplate and consider. And this is important in making judgments and decisions because verse 17 says, the one who states his case first seems right until another comes along and examines it. Really, this is a very important principle in making a judgment. One person presents their case, and then another comes along and presents the other side and provides more information. And then suddenly, the first one to present their case doesn't look as strong. I still remember this counseling case that Pastor Jim Neuheiser had where a lady comes in with a, with a black eye. and He's like, how do you get that black eye? And her husband threw a phone at her and hit her right in the eye. And so he wants to confront him. And he goes, well, why did you do that? He goes, well, I did that after she ran me over with the car. And so, okay, now there's a now the situation's different. And um, she forgot to mention that she had ran him over with the car. And so you have one side, and then the other side's presented, and suddenly things look much different. Um, this also happens when it comes to making decisions, I may think that I'm on to something. I, I, at the elders meeting, I think I have this greatest idea that's ever been had. And then my elders say, you know, that's actually not such a good idea. And it actually doesn't really go like that. But you're, you're wrestling through things. And a lot of times it's the younger, youngest one in the room that doesn't have the best wisdom and advice. I appreciate um even as we interact with our deacons, they, they bring a lot of things to us, and, and it's helpful. And hey, did you consider this? Uh, you know, when you when you if we do this, uh, you may 
have this effect, and it's very helpful uh, to be able to interact with others about things to make a good decision. We have had difficult situations in the past, and so uh, we as elders will consult other godly pastors from outside our church. Are we on the right track here? Here's what's going on. What do you think? And get some outside counsel. Uh, this principle is also behind uh, the idea of public debate. So when you have a presidential candidate, uh, there's going to be a public debate. Hey, if your policies and your plan needs to come under public scrutiny, and it needs to stand up to scrutiny. This used to be the case in education. Now it's, here's one side and just believe what we tell you. And sadly, that's kind of, kind of seen that um, in some theological education. There's not a wrestling back and forth. There's not a percentage of the other side. It's only one side. It's an assertion that's repeated. And it's just assumed. I think this is um, an issue, especially in our circles, our Baptist circles. Uh, we tend to be very tribal as Baptists. Uh, we tend to hear only one side. We tend to repeat assertions. And then in, at sometimes you're not even allowed to ask questions. Just, hey, that's the way it is. Be quiet. Uh, rather than considering, well, what is the other side? I still uh, remember uh, having to wrestle through the, the baptism question. Many of you know I went to a Presbyterian seminary. They believed in infant baptism, baptizing infants. And it may sound strange to us Baptists at first, uh, those who, of us who haven't grown up in that. But really godly smart men believe this. And so I wanted to hear what they had to say. Uh, tell me your side of things. Let me consider it. And it was all fun and games until Jackie and I find out that we're pregnant in the middle of seminary. And now it's, am I going to be in sin for not baptizing my baby? I know what respectable men like R.C. Sproul would say. Yeah, you're going to be in serious sin. And so I had to wrestle through with, rather than just covering my ears, I had to hear their side. Tell me your side. And then hear the Baptist argument. And of course, you all know where I landed. But I think that was very helpful in establishing where I was, coming under scrutiny. But think about how much conflict would be avoided if we followed these Proverbs. If we heard before giving an answer, before arriving at a conclusion. If we took time to use our ear more than our mouth. If we took time to gain knowledge and consider carefully. If we heard the opposing side and understood it and listened uh, to it, if our views stood up to scrutiny. And this brings us to the second area of our life where challenges can abound. So first, we saw considerations, second, conflicts. And we begin with kind of an inner conflict or turbulence. Verse 14, a man's spirit will endure sickness, but a crushed spirit who can bear? So a person can endure hardship. Physical sickness. But the case is different with a crushed spirit. A crushed spirit refers to one's inner being that is so weighed down with heartache that this person can hardly press on. There are some very hard blows in this life that, that can come our way. I think about uh, the lady in our own community who lost her husband a few years ago. 
And then just this past winter, I lost two of her children in a car accident. And uh, how crushing that can be. I think of Horatio Spafford, if I'm saying his name right. Uh, He was a successful businessman in Chicago. He had a wife and five children. But his youngest uh, died uh, during a, a spout of pneumonia. And then in that same year, his business burned down in the Great Chicago Fire. Two years later, his wife and four children were on a sheet, uh, were on a ship crossing the Atlantic Ocean to Europe when it crashed and sank, and he lost all his children, and only his wife survived. That's hard. But this man was the one that went on to write the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul, after all this stuff happened. And so we do learn that Christ gives us peace that surpasses all understanding. Yet we do tend to downplay or overlook what the Word of God is saying here in having a crushed spirit. It really is a terrible thing. We should not underestimate it or expect a person who has undergone terrible hardship or tragedy to just get over it. Start singing happy songs. Move on. Rather, we should acknowledge that this is difficult and we should come alongside them and and weep with them and be understanding and sympathetic and not rush them out of their pain. But we also do acknowledge that strength to bear a crushed spirit is found not in us, but in our Lord. It is because He bore a burden that we could never bear the weight of our guilt and shame that we are able to move on, knowing that He took the curse for us by becoming a curse in our place. And the curse is why we experience grief in this life. This is a sin-cursed world where we are not promised happiness. But Christ bore the curse for us, and in so doing, He has given us a hope that's beyond this world, where every terror will be wiped from our eyes when we see Him face to face, being eternally blessed and satisfied with our God. This is how we are able to bear an unbearably crushed spirit. It's only through the Gospel. It's only through this hope that we have in Christ. Now we move on to external conflict. Verse 18, the lot puts an end to quarrels and decides between powerful contenders. So back in that day, uh, lots were cast to decide a matter. It's kind of like rolling dice wherever it rolls is what the answer is. Typically, there would be two uh, shaded stones. There would be a light shading on one side, a dark shading on another. And say uh, a family is trying to decide who gets a piece of land, they would roll these. And if both sides were on the dark side, then it would go to one brother. If both sides were on the light side, it would go to one brother. So you kind of get the idea Uh, This was the way of deciding a matter when they could not reach an agreement. They saw this as the answer coming from the Lord, as we read in Proverbs 16.33. The question is, why don't we do this today? Uh, We have um, Old Testament examples of them uh, casting lots. Even a New Testament example of casting lots. In Acts 1, where they cast lots to decide on the replacement for Judas. Well, the reason for that is, I believe, this was in lieu of the outpouring of the Spirit. 
Because that was the last time in Acts 1 when they cast lots. After that, in Acts 2, the Spirit's outpoured on the day of Pentecost, and the Spirit comes upon them with new wisdom, with this new power and expression that the church has not experienced up to that point. And now Paul can even say, uh, you're going to judge angels. So in 1 Corinthians 6, where there's a dispute, he goes, why do you go to the court of the ungodly? He says, rather, don't you have godly men among you who can decide this? He doesn't say cast lots. He says, now you have godly men who will even judge angels because of the spirit that we have been given. The spirit who unites us to Christ and whom are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And this is important because verse 19 indicates that conflicts can be some of the most difficult things in life to solve. Look at verse 19. A brother offended is more unyielding than a strong city, and quarreling is like the bars of a castle. So strong cities is well-fortified city. Big walls, a stout military, and then iron bars of a castle were those that could not be broken. They're usually in the windows. And what this proverb is saying is that trying to reconcile an offended brother or bring peace is like trying to break one of those iron bars or penetrate one of these impenetrable cities. And notice this particular kind of conflict is between brothers. That is, this is a close relationship where one's lives are intertwined. The closer the relationship, the more potential there is to have deep hurt and offense because the lives are so intertwined and they're so close. And so when there is conflict, it is much more difficult to resolve. So the principle here is seeking outside help from others, from godly people, is important in this kind of conflict. Now, one of the greatest causes for conflict is in what we say. And this brings us to the third area where challenges can abound, and that is conversation. Verse 20, from the fruit of a man's mouth, his stomach is satisfied. He is satisfied by the yield of his lips. So this is the principle of you reap what you sow. We saw this this morning. Whatever seed you sow is exactly what you will reap. Well, whatever you sow with the words of your mouth is the fruit you will yield. If you sow sinful words of reviling, anger, insults, creating dissensions and factions, uh, then you will reap the consequences of broken relationships, of fighting and quarreling and many other difficulties, an offended brother or an offended spouse. But if you sow gracious, kind, wise, and edifying words, then you will yield a harvest of peace and peaceful and meaningful relationships with relatively fewer conflicts. And the importance of our words is highlighted in verse 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Our speech is so important that it can greatly impact lives. It's usually not randomly getting punched in the face that begins a conflict, but rather getting stung by someone's words. In fact, I would bet that almost all physical fights begin probably with somebody saying something they shouldn't. I'm looking at our resident police chief. It usually begins with words. Not only can 
Our words either make or break our life in the sense of being one of the major dictators in how our life goes. But it can also literally be the difference between life and death. What you say can get you killed if you set off the wrong person, or it can diffuse a situation. But it's not only the difference between physical life and physical death, but also between spiritual life and spiritual death. False teaching is used to keep people on the path to death. And the way somebody comes out of the path of death and into the path of life is through words, through preaching the good news, through making an announcement of what Christ has done to save sinners from their sin and dying for them and rising again for them. It's that news when believed that somebody goes from spiritual death to spiritual life. So words really are the difference between death and life. And then verse 23, the poor use entreaties, but the rich answer roughly. So this is speech that differs based on one's lot in life. A poor person is very dependent and needs to move you to be benevolent. And so he uses entreaties, but the rich are those who answer harshly without because really they're not going to have much consequence. Now, we see here that rich does not refer, in the Bible does not refer merely to somebody who has a lot of money. Okay? Rather, this is a negative connotation here. It refers not to someone's bank account, but to their character. And so somebody who is a worldly person, rich in that sense, is somebody who doesn't care how they treat others. It refers to their character. The fourth area of our life where challenges can abound, and that is companions. We begin with a relationship that's not a true companionship, but based on what merits one can bring to the table. And that's verse 16. A man's gift makes room for him and brings him before the great. So this can be referring to a gift in the sense that it's evil, it's a bribe, or it could be a, a good gift in the sense of having a skill. In any case, this kind of working relationship is based on the benefit that one can bring to others. But there are other kinds of relationships that should be based on committed love. Verse 22, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. So one's spouse is referred to as the companion of one's youth. In Proverbs 2.17, when God created man, and before the fall, before there was sin in the world, God looked at man and told man it is not good for him to be alone. He needed a helper. He needed a companion. We were made for companionship, friendship, and deep communion. And in the Lord's kindness and goodness, He has provided this most intimately in marriage. Now sadly, in our fallen, sin-cursed world, we don't always experience things this way. In fact, for some, marriage has been some of the greatest source of hardship and heartache. Based on experience alone, we may wonder how this can possibly be a blessing. However, know that the defect is not in the good creator's design, but in man's sin. And corruption. 
when a man finds a wife, it is because in God's providence he is giving that man a good thing and showing him favor, showing him common grace. It is a good thing. The companionship is a good gift from a good creator and should be treasured. You know, it's easy addressing us men here, I think it can apply to all of us. It's easy for us to focus on our spouse's shortcomings. Especially when you're in close quarters, oh, this person does this annoying thing, oh, this person falls short in this area. But we need to keep in mind what the proverb says here. You have a good thing. And we should treasure that and be thankful for that. And for those who are, are struggling in this and have, as the earlier proverb says, the crushed spirit in light of this, know that you have a perfect husband in heaven who laid down his life for you and is coming back at any moment to bring you to his great marriage feast. And then verse 24, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. The first half of this verse is kind of difficult to translate. It could be translated as a man that has friends must show himself to be friendly. Or there are companions for socializing with, which is in contrast to the latter half of the verse, which suggests a more deeper friendship, more committed companions. Uh, we do have a contrast here, and it seems that the contrast is between superficial companions of whom you have to give something in order to receive something in return, otherwise they will leave, versus that of a true companion who sticks really close, closer than a brother, which is one of the most loyal relationships. And so the scripture here is calling us to be that kind of friend, to be the kind of friend that sticks closer than a brother, that sticks with that person through thick and thin. We are not to be flighty friends. The minute they do not benefit us or annoy us, we're, we're gone. We get rid of that person. Rather, we are to endure hardship with them and from them, love at all times, bear with them in adversity as Proverbs 17, 17 says, and as 1 Corinthians 13 says, to endure all things, hope all things, and believe all things. But this is only possible when we consider what a friend we have in Jesus. I'm glad we sing that today. I was hoping we would actually, I was actually thinking about bringing that up, like we should sing that song and forgot, and lo and behold, we sing that. We have the best of friends in our Lord Jesus. Who has been a closer friend than the one who laid down his life for us? Jesus says that no love, uh, that, that love has no one greater than this, that he laid down his life for his friends, and this is what he has done for us. He is the one who gave his life for us while we were yet sinners and enemies of his. When we had nothing at all to give him, that is when he gave to us his all. He bases his relationship with us on his pure, benevolent love and not on our merits whatsoever. Therefore, he loved us to the uttermost and will always remain committed to his love 
towards us no matter what. When we fall, He lifts us up. When we sin, He intercedes for us. When we fall into the filth of our sin, He cleanses us with His precious blood. And so indeed, what a friend we have in Jesus. And may we too emulate that same unwavering commitment to others despite how good or how bad they may treat us. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, we ask that we would be the type of friends who do love others, even through adversity. Give us the grace to do that. Uh, Give us the grace to walk with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, to love one another, uh, and to bear with one another even when times are difficult, to uh, overlook offenses, to believe all things, to come alongside those who are in sin, and to continue to reveal the love that you have first shown us. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You have been listening to a message from Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. To receive more information about Trinity Bible Church or to support the ministry, go to tbcwyoming.com. That is tbcwyoming.com.